All right, let's take our Bibles together and go to John 14 this morning. John 14, and we'll be looking today at verses 27 through 31, and we'll want to consider the subject or the topic today, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. Beginning in verse 27 of John 14, Jesus' words are these. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. I want to draw your attention back to that very first part of verse 27. It really is a remarkable expression that the Lord gives to his disciples. At first glance, it seems like a very common phrase that uh, someone would give to another. But notice he says, and these are, this is the words of Jesus himself. He says, peace I leave with you. And then notice this, my peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Now, to understand the words of the Lord even more fully, we need to consider and understand that in normal Jewish greetings, uh, when uh, those in, in, of Jews would meet one another, and even in some other uh, places, it was very common for when people would greet one another and then leave one another, they would use the expression, peace be to you. Peace be to you is it's a, a, a design to be, I want goodwill for you. I want you to go in peace. I want your, I want your life to be uh, without trouble, without, uh, without problems. It was a common salutation or a common greeting. Uh, when a person would say that to another, they were demonstrating that I want what's best for you. So if we leave here in a few moments and we say to one another, peace be to you, and we mean that, we want you to experience something good. It's something that was reserved for uh, friends who would greet one another and desire the very best as they go. However, remember the context of what's happening here. Uh, Christ is getting ready to leave. He doesn't say to them, peace be to you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's, it's much similar to when Jesus, when they would say, uh, you have heard it said. And he, Jesus would say, but I say unto you. It, it's almost the common salutation of what you're used to hearing. Peace be to you. I'm saying something totally different to you. I'm saying peace I leave with you. He's talking about something that is much, much different than just simil the similar salutation or greeting of peace be to you. Christ says, not only do I leave this with you, he says, I give it unto you. 
this peace. Now, uh, Jesus is announcing to them and giving to them something that they're not going to find anywhere else. Uh, He's telling them, there is a peace that I know and a peace that I give that you will find nowhere else. Uh, You and I today, we could leave each other with that phrase, peace be to you. And our intent is good. Our desire and our hope is good, but it really leaves nothing. Me saying peace be to you doesn't mean your peace, you're going to experience it. If I tell you that today, it doesn't mean, you know, go in peace today. That doesn't mean that as soon as you hit the car today, war is going to break out, right? It, it doesn't guarantee anything. It's, it's what I want for you. But when Jesus says it, he's giving something. He's promising something. He is guaranteeing that what I'm giving you and what I'm leaving with you can be relied upon. Now remember, he's getting ready to leave them. He is very, very close now to being taken allowing himself to be taken. He's very close now to going to the cross. These events are now beginning to unfold very, very quickly. But what Jesus is telling them is that this peace that he's leaving with them, this peace that he's giving to them is different than what the world can give them. No matter how often they say to one another, peace be to you, it would not compare to what Jesus was saying when I give you my peace. We talk about the peace time of the world, or we talk about the world's definition of peace. If you study through history, there will be people that will declare that at a such and such a time, there was peace. Now, on the, on the surface, peace can be deceiving. You can think of because someone is no longer in a conflict, that peace, real peace is now present. That's not always the case. Uh, Peace can can deceive us into thinking that because it's quiet or because there's nothing bad happening, uh, now it's a peaceful time. Jesus is giving these phrases and these words about peace, and the disciples' lives are getting ready to experience something they've never experienced before. As a matter of fact, the conflict and the tribulation is going to increase tenfold, and yet he's telling them, my peace I'm leaving with you and my peace I'm giving to you. In other words, he's not giving this to them going into a time of quiet. He's telling them this as they're going into a time of really the most trouble they're ever going to experience. Now, when I use terms like peace be to you, when your life is filled with calm water, it doesn't have as much meaning. Because you say, well, yeah, my life right now, it's it's pretty calm. But when you're going through the trial and you're going through the struggle and you're going through difficulties, you want peace. Jesus is promising them that the peace of this world, it's external, it's temporary, it's not going to last. But what he's reminding them of is the peace that I'm going to leave with you, the peace I'm going to give you is based on eternal, sure promises of God. Based upon not only his word, but the merits of his authority and the merits of his right to declare these things. The peace he's offering is peace that will strengthen and peace that will sustain through any trial. 
So he tells them, we've seen this phrase before, let not your heart be troubled. This chapter began with that phrase. It's the very first verse of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's a, rep a, repetit a re repetition of the same phrase. Let not your heart be troubled, number one, because you believe in me, we saw in verse number one. Number two, because I leave my peace with you. Why are we not to be troubled in this world and in the difficulties we're going to go through is because we believe in him and we have his peace. Now this comes on the heels of being told that the comforter is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to indwell you and it is, it, is, it is for your benefit that the Holy Spirit comes unto you. In John 16, again, some of these things will appear again the closer Jesus gets to the cross. But in John 16, we'll see this repeated again in verses 32 through 33. Jesus says to his disciples in that chapter, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come. Now watch this, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, well, notice this, ye shall have tribulation. Can you just mark that down? <laughs> you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That means any tribulation the world is going to bring you, I have already overcome it. When we think about these things that Jesus says there in verse 33, in me, you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. In Jesus himself, friends, there is always an abiding peace. When the trial and the tribulation comes, Jesus Christ is always there. He is always an abiding peace. When Jesus declares I have this peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. He was declaring himself to be the very essence of peace. Remember, the world declares peace as free of conflict. Jesus defines peace as himself. When he says, my peace I leave with you, what is he saying? He's saying, my presence I leave with you. My presence will be there when the storms come. My presence will be there when you're scattered. My presence will be there when it looks like everything is going wrong. My presence will be there. I would ask you this morning, do you know the presence, the real presence of Christ in your life? Oftentimes, people mistake God's presence when everything is going perfectly instead of understanding. God never said, I'm going to give you no trouble. He said, I'm going to be your abiding presence when the trouble comes. That's the difference. 
Jesus never said peace is going to be free from conflict, free from trouble, free from struggle. But he said, while you're going through those things, my abiding presence will be there. If I was to tell you, if you only could choose one of these two choices, would you rather have A, the abiding presence of Christ all the time, or a life that is filled with no trouble? I hope your answer is A. Because that's when you know that what's most needed is not free from conflict, free from struggle, free from temptation in this world. What you need more than anything is the abiding presence of Christ. The world is trying to figure out how do we bring peace? The answer is you will never in this world, as long as sinners remain, you will never have perfect peace in any conflict. You are never going to wake up one day and say the entire world is at peace. For the entire world to be at peace means every conflict had to have been resolved. And yet man worldwide is fight, trying to fight and struggle for a way. What's the key to peace? Instead of saying peace is Christ and his abiding presence. That's how the disciples are going to have to go through what they're getting ready to go through. We understand here that this peace that Jesus provides provides a calmness even in the midst of a storm. Jesus himself could never not be peace. In other words, he is peace. He was peace. He will be peace. He had peace within himself he had a strong desire, we see here, that his disciples would have his abiding presence. Folks, I, I, this, is, this is meant to really be a help to us this morning. Do you know that the Lord himself desires to see his people calm and even content, even in the midst of struggle? He wants us to say, listen, my presence is with them. There's nothing in the Lord that sits and says, listen, I, I, I want to see how, how unnerved I can make my people. I want to see how, 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 how much struggle I can put them through. But what he has said is that, with, listen, when this sinful world puts all of its struggles and all of its tribulation and all of its things towards you, find your peace in me. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Understand that those times, those storms in life, it's not a matter, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. You, you and I are guaranteed, just as the disciples were, their struggle was going to be different. I understand that. But you're, you are guaranteed that there is a storm that will brew in your life at some point. It's, and it's the difference is not, is, is there never going to be a storm? It's what is going to be my presence? Do I have the abiding presence of Jesus and his peace in this storm? So we understand that the peace that the world offers is temporary. And Jesus, again, back in our text in John 14, uses that phrase again, let not your heart be troubled. Remember, and this is, this is a hard Thing for us to get to. 
Our joy does not come from what we have, nor does true sorrow come from what we don't have. Our happiness, our peace, does not come from what the world comes, gives. As a matter of fact, it's not even, it, it, it's, it's not the trouble that troubles us. Here's what troubles us. We begin to think so highly of ourselves that we think God doesn't have the right to allow and bring trouble into our lives. In other words, when we go through a struggle, we say, why would God do this to me? Why would God allow me to go through this? Why am I having to go through this? The disciples could have said this very thing. Lord, we have walked with you. We have learned from you. We have supported you. Why are you letting us get ready to go through the greatest trial? Folks, there really is a, uh, there's kind of a hidden little secret here about what he's telling them. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's this idea that we think that God ought to be more lenient on us because we believe in him. Folks, we've all been guilty of saying, listen, why am I going through such trouble? And the people I work with who blaspheme God, why are they not going through trouble? We've all done this. We've all said, why am I struggling? Lord, look at my life. I'm, I'm a believer. I go to church. I read my Bible. I, I, I do the things of God. I want to be obedient. I, of all people, certainly should never have to go through a struggle. Nowhere we promised that we're not going to go through that. And folks, my question for us today is, are we actually willing to admit that God has a right to do with our life as he sees fit? We respond sometimes at a storm and we say, God's dealing harshly with me. We get a storm in our life and we say, man, I must have really done something wrong. Look what God's doing to me. Try telling that to the martyr. Try telling that to the person who, who took a stand for Christ and lost their earthly life. And yet, while the executioner was carrying out their, their duty, they were still praising God and proclaiming God. How were they doing that? Why were they doing that? Because they had the abiding peace of Christ. That's how and why. They didn't say, Lord, why am I having to suffer for this? Why am I? I've, I've been one of, your, one of your choicest servants. I've, always, I've tried to always live a life. And yet, we can point many people to say, look at all these believers whose circumstances are much worse than ours. I think it's safe to say that we are all guilty of having and being guilty of having a little bit of self-love for ourselves. In other words, we love ourselves to the point where we think, listen, I, I, I just, I don't deserve this. We have a, an idea of what we think we ought to have and what we shouldn't have. Do you know what that really is? When we think we know best what we should have and what we shouldn't have, it really is to rebel against the sovereignty of God. And I think that's one of the main reasons people don't like the word sovereignty. We don't like that we don't have control. I know in my own personal life, my day-to-day my -day life, 
I love control. Most of us do. Most of us want to push the buttons. We want to control where it goes, how far it goes, how long we stay. We want to have the final say-so in what we do in our life. And yet, at the heart of it all is an overriding sovereignty of God that says, you have never been in control. Folks, you control, really, no aspect of your life. We respond in obedience, but the control of it is not ours. It's God's. Now, we get up every day thinking we've got, we are the captain of our own ship. We get up and we say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's where I'm going to go. Here's what's going to happen. And we fail to realize, wait a minute, God could allow that storm to come up in the midst of our control. These disciples could have believed with everything they are, listen, we don't deserve this. Yet here is this, here is this principle. We are sorrowful because we believe that we don't deserve what's happening to us. Now again, sorrow is real. Trouble is real. But do you know what really feeling sorry for yourself is? It really is saying, I don't deserve to have this happen to me. Yes, someone else should have it happen, but not me. Jesus is reminding them that throughout these things, throughout these days that are coming, that these real struggles are happening and his peace is what he's going to leave with them. We see there in verses 28 and 29, he reminds them again. He says, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice. Seems like he's being a little bit harsh with them. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Remember, he had told them again and again and again, these things must be so. He's going to have to die to fulfill all that was written of him. He was going to have to die to fulfill all the requirements necessary for salvation. He had to leave, but he also said he would come again. What Jesus is saying here, if you love me, you would rejoice. He's telling them that if, if you really love me the way you should, and you really believe me the way you should, instead of being depressed and sorrowful and troubled, you should be rejoicing right now. If you really believe me, you should be rejoicing now, not being despondent, not being defeated. You see, their thoughts were too much on themselves. Listen, to love him, again, these are not the terminology, it's not the, the word love we think about, but to love the Lord is to rejoice in him. It's to rejoice in what Jesus has done. It's to rejoice in his, for us, we look now for his finished work. We understand that Christ is now at the right hand of the Father. He's being glorified. We rejoice in those things. We rejoice that his redemption, our redemption is complete. When Jesus says, my father is greater than I, he's not talking about the difference in essence, but he is talking about that Jesus' role in this was the mediator between God and men. Jesus was declaring that I have come to do all that my father sent me to do. 
When he says, my father is greater than I, he's telling them what, what my father has sent me to do. I am going to be in complete obedience to his will. And you should rejoice in my obedience. Rejoice in what I'm doing. You don't have to turn there, but John 10, 30. Remember the very familiar verse, I and my father are one. Nothing that Jesus did was in disobedience to his father's will. Here's what Jesus is saying. Everything you see, it's getting ready to happen. Everything you see, don't be overwhelmed by it, but believe. Folks, when struggles and trials come in our life, don't be surprised, believe. Don't be overwhelmed with the sorrow, understand his abiding peace. Yes, but preacher, you don't know what I've dealt with. No, I don't. And you don't know what I deal with. We, we all, but we're all told the same thing. His peace is what gets us through that. You know, sometimes in, in, our, in our desire to not always speak truth, and again, please take this the right way. Someone says, I'm going through a struggle. I'm going through a trial. And what do we often say? It's going to get better. You can't promise that. Now, that's our humanity. Our humanity says a person is struggling in front of us. It's going to get better. There's no promise of that. Not the circumstance, not the situation. Now, for the child of God, oh, yeah, it's going to get a lot better. One day we are going to go where he is. We are going to be forever with him. Oh, there's a, there's a, better, there's a better day coming. But to say, oh, this circumstance you're going through right now, it, it's going to go away. Not necessarily. But what isn't going to go away is the abiding presence and the abiding peace of Christ. His presence is always there. Jesus never says, hey, don't worry when all this happens, it'll get better. Let me ask you, did it get better for the disciples? Every one of them were martyred. Every one of them. By the human standards, the world looks at them and says, what a bunch of crazy followers. They followed Jesus and they were willing to die for this guy. What's the matter with them? See, the disciples are still learning this at this stage. They're still trying to understand all that he's trying to teach them. But here we see that as Jesus tells them in verse number 30, he says, or verse 39, and now I've told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Now, this he's been talking to them and he's been conversing with them. And we do know this. This isn't the last words. He does say quite a bit before the cross, and he also says quite a bit after he raises from the grave. The Bible declares he's with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. But what he is talking about here, he's saying, the time that I have right now is short. For the prince of this world, that Satan cometh and hath nothing in me. He's telling them the window for me talking to you before all this happens is growing very, very short. See, the cross is very, very near. His death is very, very near. But we understand here that Jesus, as he follows through with everything that's happening here, 
Jesus is not going to give any resistance to what's getting ready to happen. He's going to willingly submit to all of these things. We see part of this account in John 18, 38, when, the, when the, the Jesus is questioned by Pilate himself, and Pilate finds absolutely no fault in Jesus. He finds no reason to put him on the cross. He finds no reason to sentence him to death. Yet Jesus does not resist what happens next. He allows himself to be scourged. He allows himself to be mocked. He allows himself to be crucified. He allows all of what was told that would happen to him to take place. And at the same time, the disciples are going to be standing back watching all of this take place. And from the moment Jesus is taken, the disciples scatter. They're gone. Yet by Christ offering no resistance to this, we see that this promise that he had made to them about his peace. John 14, 31 tells us the whole purpose of it, but that the world may know that I love the Father. By Christ offering no resistance, he shows all that he perfectly loves the Father and he only came to do the will of the Father. He later, he told them earlier in John 10, 18, and this, is, this was even in more preparation for what was taking place. Remember, he told them, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. You say, what is the point? The point is, is that Jesus doesn't change the circumstances. Jesus doesn't go back about what had already been promised. He was in perfect obedience to his Father's will, in perfect obedience to his Father's commands. He says, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Nowhere does Jesus say, all right, I'm going to go and take away all of these bad things that are getting ready to happen. I'm going to go and I'm going to no longer give my life. I'm no longer going to go through all the struggle. I'm no longer going through these trials. No, he says, let us go and let me be in obedience to my Father. Folks, this peace that Christ is talking about, this peace is the only peace that is going to carry you through this world. There is nothing a doctor can give you. There is nothing another person can give you that will sustain you and strengthen you through the struggles and the trials of life that are coming. Now, God, God gifts people with an, uh, an unbelievable ability to encourage people. Some, some people have got an amazing gift to do this. But I'm going to tell you something. That will never replace the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. I don't care how good you are at comforting somebody. It will not last unless it is the comfort and the peace that only Christ can provide. The most difficult situations on a personal note that we've been through as a family or as an individual, it was only the peace of Christ that gets you through it. There are struggles we've been through that we thought were going to literally kill us. 
And you've had some of those situations. You've gone through, through grief that you thought, I'm never going to get past the feeling of loss. I'm never going to get past the grief that I'm feeling. The only presence that's going to abide with you is the peace that Christ provides. Oh, Christ is promising something here, not so that we just kind of have a, have some, a genie in the lamp, if you will. He's saying this is the presence that I'm going to leave with you, and that presence is going to be found in the Holy Spirit of God, which speaks of the presence of Christ himself. I've stood at funerals, and I've preached funerals for people that I knew were unbelievers. I've preached funerals for people that were believers. And I'm telling you, there is a world of difference between preaching to a funeral with people who do not know Christ and people who do. There is no comfort you can give to an unbeliever in a moment like that. All you can do is point them and say, there is a peace. And that peace is found in Christ alone. That's when you walk through those difficult valleys and you say, how in the world did I get through that? Because it was the peace of God which passeth all understanding. It was the peace of God that got you through that. It's when you're standing at what you think is the most horrific, difficult situation you've ever walked through and you say, how am I still standing on the other side? It's because the peace of Christ delivered you through it. You say, I can't face this. I can't do this. And in the moment, when the moment comes, you realize I'm not alone. I'm standing and the presence of Christ is with me. And I came through the fire. And you come through the fire and there's another one. And you go through that fire and now there's a storm. You go through the storm and now there's a flood. And the same peace that get you through gets you through all of them. Because it's not based on temporary worldly peace. It's based on something that's eternal. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand, listen, you are going to be filled with sorrow. You are going to be filled with grief. But don't be afraid because I will always be with you. I want to give you this quote because this this. And it's, it's wordy, all right? But I want you to listen to it very carefully. The writer says, The peace Christ gives is true, solid, and substantial. The peace the world, the men, and things of it give is a false one. And while they cry, peace, peace, sudden destruction is at hand. The peace of the world is at best an external one. But the peace Christ is the giver of is eternal. The peace the world affords is very transient, unstable, short-lived. But the peace of Christ is lasting and durable. The peace of the world will not support under the troubles of it, but the peace which Christ gives cheerfully carries his people through all the difficulties and exercises of this life. The world gives peace in words only. Christ indeed. The world gives hypocritically. Christ heartily. The world gives for its own advantage. Christ gives peace for his people's sake. The world gives its peace to the men of it, to the ungodly, none to the godly whom it hates. Christ gives his, not to the wicked, 
For there is no peace to them, but to the saints, the excellent in the earth. Wherefore, says Christ, let not your heart be troubled. At my departure from you, since I leave such a peace with you, neither let it be afraid at the dangers you will be exposed unto and the trouble you may be exercised with. For in the midst of them all, in me, ye shall have peace. The question is, do we get that? John Gill wrote that years and years and years ago. But the question is, do we have that peace at this very moment? Right now, everything seems calm. I understand. We're all going to leave here in a few moments. You're going to go back to, you're going to go to your quote unquote life. You're going to go to back to the difficulties and the struggles and the trials and all that comes with it. And the question is, do you have his peace right this moment? You see, it's at the moment you don't think you need it. You need to be sure of it. See, everybody wants peace when the storm rises up, but we don't think about, do I have the peace right now when everything seems calm? Someone could walk in the door right now and look at us and say, well, that's a very peaceful church. Look, they're very calm. It's very, there's no conflicts. But within each one of our lives, there may be something that's raging right at this very moment. If we honestly went around the room today and asked the question, and you were very honest, would you right now say, you know what, right this moment, I'm extremely troubled, I'm extremely discouraged, I'm extremely depressed. It is only the peace of Christ that's going to deliver you from that. I'm almost willing to guarantee, I go around this room, half of us are going to say, I'm troubled right now. I, I, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm struggling right now with something. And the answer, friends, is the peace that Christ provides. His presence in the, as a believer. He's already there. When you're saying, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? He's right there. Lean on His promises. Lean not on your own understanding. Remember what His Word has said. Not what somebody, even with good intentions, said, hey, it's going to get better. It may not, but the peace of Christ is abiding. It's eternal. It will last forever. You say, well, then what do I do? Tell it to him. Tell the Lord right now, look, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with right now. Tell him your trouble and say, listen, Lord, I don't want to be fearful. I want to trust in you even in this moment. You see, the Comforter, he's, he's right there. The Holy Spirit of God is right there. Listen, Jesus had to remind his disciples of what was coming. And the moment the conflict came, instead of resting in the peace that he promised to give them and said would be there, they fled in fear. It's an amazing thing. We sit here and say, you know what? Now, if Jesus, preacher, I hear you saying it, but now if Jesus was saying it, he told me that, I would not be troubled. You would do exactly the same thing the disciples are doing. I would too. Jesus is making that promise and he says, listen, this peace I'm leaving with you. If you have that peace, if you have that comforter today, 
You have him right there with you. As we close, I want to share something very quickly with you. Some of you may be familiar with the Valley of Vision, and it's a, it's a small book of what's referred to as Puritan prayers. And I want to just read this one to you, and we'll finish with this. And it's entitled, The Spirit of Jesus. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with thy spirit, that I may be occupied with his presence. I am blind, send him to make me see. Dark, let him say, let there be light. May he give me faith to behold my name engraven in thy hand, my soul and body redeemed by thy blood, my sinfulness covered by the life of pure obedience. Replenish me by his revealing grace that I may realize my indivisible union with him that I may know that thou hast espoused me to thyself forever in righteousness, love, mercy, faithfulness, that I am one with thee. As a branch with its stock, as a building with its foundation, may his comforts cheer me in my sorrows, his strength sustain me in my trials, his blessings revive me in my weariness, his presence render me a fruitful tree of holiness, his might establish me in peace and joy. His incitements make me ceaseless in prayer. His animation kindle in me undying devotion. Send him as the searcher of my heart to show me more of my corruptions and helplessness that I may flee to thee, cling to thee, rest on thee as the beginning and end of my salvation. May I never vex him by my indifference and waywardness. Grieve him by my cold welcome. Resist him by my hard rebellion. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for thy great name's sake. I hope that'll help us and remind us. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer.